What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Steve O'Brien from Arcan Capital. We're talking about impacts on the multifamily real estate industry from the, the coronavirus upset. You know, the, the coronavirus has thrown property operations into, you know, a tailspin in many places. You know, Steve's doing well, but, you know, it, it's, it's really put a lot of question marks in people's heads and it, it's changed the way that we as real estate investors need to do business in a very short amount of time. So today we're talking with Steve about the ways in which his property management company has changed the way they do business in response to some of these social distancing requirements and how they've you know, adopted some technologies. We're also talking about how the, the market for buying real estate has shifted in a very short amount of time and and why and, and what that comes from. I had a great time talking with Steve. His company manages one of my investment properties in South Carolina, and uh, it's just great to to connect with him and, and get some more insight into his business and, and really really where his mind is right now. So. Fantastic conversation, really pleased to bring you this one. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate syndicator, meaning I buy real estate with passive investors and share the return. Love talking about real estate investing and you know we're in, we're in tough times right now and we're gonna get through it together. We're gonna learn some lessons along the way as well. So without any further ado, here we go with Steve O'Brien. Steve, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Happy to talk with you. You're you're managing one of the properties I'm invested in in South Carolina, and it's it's a great pleasure to to actually meet you and talk face to face to face. So I'm I'm very happy about that. But for folks who do not know what you do, can you tell us about Steve O'Brien and Arcan Capital, please? Sure, Arcan Capital is a, a apartment investor and manager. We're based out of the Atlanta area. And we focus on value add, multifamily investing and management in the Southeastern United States. Um, we started uh, about uh, eight years ago now in 2012. And from the beginning, we were focused on acquiring and managing properties that uh, had a value add component, something that we thought we could do to add value, whether that's uh, enhanced management, um, new fitness center, uh, interior renovations. And so we've, we've focused on uh, improving properties and what we call driving alpha through both physical and, and operational changes to the property. Nice. Very succinct. And you get a lot done. So, you know, I want to talk about some of the, the issues or, or problems or speed bumps that you're seeing in the market uh, with the, you know, big question mark of coronavirus. I mean, we're recording this in April and it's going to go out in June. Uh, to my mind, you know, the road's still going to be a bit rocky in the June time frame. But, you know, what, what are you seeing out there and, and what's happened, you know, in your business so far with the coronavirus? Well, as of, as of today, you know, first week in April, we really haven't seen much of a change other than operationally. And I think those operational changes will probably go back to normal way. I hope they're back to normal by, by June, by the time people are listening to this. Um, and, and that's mostly the changes associated with, uh, respecting the social distancing and respecting guidelines from the federal government and the CDC in regards to, to caring for residents and, and also caring for our staff and, and making sure that we don't put them in a bad situation. Uh, 
um, from a health perspective. Uh, having said that, we are an essential business. We take care of people's homes. And in many instances, you know, there are several hundred people living in a single location and they're relying on us to fix things and to take care of their, their home. And we need to be there to do that. So uh, our offices, for the most part, are closed, but they are available. Um, the internet's been a lifesaver uh, in, in this time. I, I can't imagine how we could have done this without the internet because tenants have multiple ways to communicate with us. And I, and I actually think one of the, in June and, and even in December, one of the things we're gonna be talking about is how this really pushed real estate to be more technologically advanced. Typically, in my experience, real estate's slow to adopt some of this stuff. And I think it'll be a great thing that, that we have forced tenants now, all of our tenants have the ability to pay online. They all have the ability to contact us via email um, and, and via our website so they can submit work orders. Any form of communication, either by, by phone, which has been there for a while, but now electronically, there's really no reason someone has to come into an office. And that's been true up to this point, but now we're testing that. And, and so far what we've seen is that it's worked. And I think that's a great story. We are able to successfully manage the apartments with, with essentially a closed office. Now we have people in the office, but we're trying to avoid human to human contact. Um, I think that's the major hurdle in the change right now is basically this happened so quickly that in a period of two weeks, we had to change the entire way that we ran properties. Not fundamentally in, in what we were trying to accomplish, but systematically in how we went about accomplishing that. Um, you know, we have to think about work orders when, when there's a work order now and we have dialed back what work orders we're doing. I wouldn't say we're only working on emergent work orders, but we are working on um, the work orders that need to get done. And that's where we're given a priority to maximize social distancing. But, you know, we'll, we'll get in contact with the tenant and have the tenant leave so that our guy can come in and fix it. And so you're, you're not uh, contacting each other. You're not, you're not touching each other. And um, it's been a challenge. I mean, it's, it's, been the, it's been the number one challenge that we've worked on uh, as of today. We have not felt the collections challenge, but I think that's coming. Um, I think there's a lot of doom and gloom regarding collections, but I do not think it will be as bad as some have predicted, but I do think it's, it's going to be a challenge to collect all of your money. And so we're expecting a, a higher delinquency rate and more challenge to collect that last dollar. So not only will you not be able to, but you're going to have to work harder to get it. And we've already started that. So I think those are the two biggest challenges right now um, as far as the, the, the change in, in lifestyle. And, and I think that will probably continue for the next month or two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I, I believe we might as well plan uh, for issues to continue so that we're, we're prepared. Although, it, you know, at this point, it might be, it might be too late to make some of these changes. It's good to hear that you've been uh, nimble and, and agile as, you know, business wins of changed you've had to you've had to update your procedures and things like that's fantastic um as far as closing deals you know buying your own properties have there been you know i i see people lender friends post on facebook about having issues you know getting loans and things like that closing deals have there been any issues you know on that end for you yeah i think i think that's actually the bigger change um now i, I you know it's it's a, a pretty big change to to you know, close your offices and, and, and fundamentally change that, that function. But what happened overnight is I think the market just slammed to a halt. Um, one day there was money, both from lenders and from and equity sources, and the next day there wasn't. Um, we had a deal that we were supposed to close that fell through, and we got a very nice phone call, and they were very reasonable about it, but they basically said, we can't raise the money. 
um, not in this environment. And um, that we've been hearing similar things from agency lenders. The, the agencies, while they're still there and they're still making loans, overnight, I would say their loans went from, you know, you could get an 80% loan in the mid 3% range easily to, yeah, you can still get a loan in the mid 3% range, but it, it's going to drop in leverage to 65% probably. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be all sorts of extra reserves and all sorts of, you know, extra caveats that they're going to put in the deal. Not, I wouldn't say to make you not take the loan, but to put you in a position where you're, you're going to be very sure that you want it because it's, it's really tough to get a quote for something at 85% or 80% leverage at a great rate with no strings attached. And all of a sudden your loan proceeds go down by, you know, 15% and you're required to put up three times the amount of reserves. It's still a historically low rate. And at some point, will they release those reserves back to you when things get better? Sure. But boy, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's, and it's no different than I think what's happening on, on pricing. Um, if, if you took a property to market today, I, I, I don't know what the discount would be, but I guarantee there is one because almost what almost everybody is talking about is, yeah, I, I can't get something closed or the, the details behind closing it are, are so much more complicated now that we can't pay the same price. And so I, I think everyone's struggling for that new normal and, and I don't know what that is and it will take some time for it to shake loose because this, again, this happened so quickly it almost feels like, you know, being from Atlanta, we're, we're big highway people, as, as I'm sure people know. So it's almost like you're driving down a six lane highway and somebody slams on their brakes. You know, the guy a mile and a half down the road, he doesn't feel it right away necessarily, but he's going to be stuck behind that traffic for a while. And it's even when that, that first car clears, they're going to be stuck. And I think that's where we are right now is we're, we're stuck. It's still, the brakes have still been slammed on and we're waiting for, for things to get moving again. And once things start moving, um, you'll get some clarity. But I, I even think, you know, I think brokers are the best place to go for pricing and they can really tell you what something's worth, what they can sell it for. They do the most transactions. And I even think brokers now are, are kind of, you know, putting a finger in the air and guessing at what something's worth. Wow. So that is definitely tough to hear. And, you know, the brokers, yeah, they see the transactions happenings. They know the, which way the winds are blowing. Um, have you seen any, I mean, it's, this is, we're not super deep into this yet, but have you seen any major changes in terms of, you know, numbers that you're hearing from brokers, uh, as things have shifted or is it just kind of qualitative, you know, they have a certain feel type of thing? Well, anecdotally, we had a deal that, I mean, the timing, it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, the timing couldn't have been worse. And they say, I probably should be crying, but if you, if you, you should laugh instead of cry, I guess, is what you say. Um, we, had a, we had a deal out where they gave us an idea of what they thought it would be worth, and they were, they were putting a BOV on it for us. And that BOV came in 15% lower than what we were told when we sent them the data initially. Having said that, to, to give the brokers credit, they basically came back and said, we don't really know. This is what we think. And what they think matters because that's what they're going to take to the market. They're going to go to the market and say, this is what we think you should pay. And the market's going to speak and come back and say, I, well, I think I should pay less or I think I could pay a little bit more. But I, I think the general consensus amongst the investors, equity and lenders is that everyone knows the prices are down right now, but no one knows for how long and no one knows how far. And that's because no one knows what's going to happen when we get started again. So we have seen, if I had to guess, I'd say that number is around 15%. But uh, that 
it, it really just depends on what happens next because it may be down for 15% right now, but you still have to close the deal before that's really a, a price reduction. Somebody telling you, hey, your deal's worth 80 a door and now it's worth 70 a door. That doesn't really mean anything. It's, it's what somebody's actually going to pay for it. So when you start seeing some new transactions that started today, you know, you, I think there were plenty of transactions that got started in January and closed, that got started in February and closed. And for all we know, they're going to do great. They'll be just fine. We'll bounce right back um, and, and things will be fine. And, you know, I think the challenge is we, we, don't, we just don't know yet. And no one knows the financial impact this is going to have on our economy and on the roads. Um, and it just feels, it feels very uncertain right now. And so I hate to, I hate to be so blunt about it, but the reality is anybody who tells you <laughs> that, they, that they know where they is, they're kind of guessing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right about that. You know, we're, we're all guessing nobody can really predict the future and somebody's going to end up being right, but it's not probably not because they were, you know, able to see the future. It's just because somebody's going to be right. And, you know, there are enough, enough guesses out there, but if we're, you know, we're trying to take a step back and learn the, the broader lesson, see the bigger picture here and really make sure we're, we're preparing for, for the long-term future and, and learning as we go, you know, how can we prepare for these situations, you know, in our businesses, if we're, you know, out there buying larger pieces of real estate, how do we get ready for this, you know, situation? I mean, this particular coronavirus is, you know, it's not a common thing, but recessions are going to happen. The disruptions in, in the credit markets are going to happen for one reason or another. Um, so, you know, what can we do? I think it all starts with, you know, for me, and I'm, a, I'm an analyst by trade. That's how I got into real estate was, you know, putting models together and, and attempting to value things and, and uh, come up with returns. And, and I think that that's where it all starts is the underwriting. And, um, you know, you can have a great Excel model, but it's still garbage in, garbage out. It's, it's, it's about making sure, I think it's very important that your model makes the calculations correctly or as close to correctly as you can. But what's more important is, are you really going to get 3% rent growth if that's what you put in the first year? And, you know, the, I don't know that the people are doing this, but the people that are really in trouble are the ones who have 5% rent growth in that just bought a property. Um, and there, there have been plenty of markets, Atlanta, our home market is one that have had multiple years during this cycle where rent has grown over 5%. So it's not crazy to put 5% rent growth in a model. You've got several years of data that say it could be 5%. But I think paying attention to the market and paying attention to the underwriting it's, it's always better, we've said to be, if you, the deal works and you're being conservative, then it's gonna go great if things go better. But it, it's a great way to prevent you know, something from going really badly by looking at your numbers and saying, hey, you know, I'm pushing a little too hard right there. I don't, I don't really, can I really spend only this on marketing? Can I really get this rent increase? And it's always probably better, in my opinion, to, to be on the bottom end of, of possible as opposed to overly aggressive because though this only happens every once in a while, I mean, and I remember this in 2008 and nine, you know, the, the timing, it's almost impossible to predict, but if you get aggressive at the wrong time, you're going to get in trouble. So it's probably best to be as conservative as possible all the time. Maybe you'll leave a little on the table, but um, it, it just depends on what your attitude is. If, if you're happy with, you know, going hundred miles an hour with your hair on fire, you can be super aggressive, but you, you're probably going to end up giving some properties back. 
and and some people don't mind that as much. Our our goal, we we tend to follow, you know, Warren Buffett, and you know, rule number one: don't lose money. Rule number two: see rule number one. Um, and so we're conservative, and and I that costs us deals. I mean, there are plenty of deals <laughs> that we didn't get early in the cycle because we said there's no way rent's going to grow three years in a row at five percent Atlanta, and that's exactly what it did. So either way, you're going to miss something. I think you got to decide: are you are you com more comfortable missing the pain, or are you more comfortable missing the upside? And I think we're more comfortable missing the upside and avoiding the pain. So you know, regarding the the numbers aspect and and coming up with on be trying to be on the bottom side of possible and not you know below that in terms of say our expenses and our projections of those expenses um well you've got a lot of experience and a lot of data to draw upon but you know for somebody who's say newer to the multifamily game they want to get into to multifamily real estate what is you know, a good process for, for finding those numbers. I mean, how do you, how do you even know what the right number is? Yeah. You got to find somebody like me. I mean, and, and we don't even in the scheme of things, I mean, we're, we're a very small regional company, but there are a lot of people who understand what they can run an apartment complex for. And, and I think that's, that's very valuable is, is, you know, take your numbers. I, I don't think I've ever said no even if there was nothing in it for me, if somebody said, hey, would you do me a favor and take a look at these numbers for me really quick and tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong? I, I mean, I, I don't say no to that. Um, it's, it's a great idea to, for me to take a look at how everybody's underwriting other things. So we take information any way we can get it. And I think investors should do the same thing is if you think you can run a property for something, find somebody else that's run something nearby, something similar nearby and say, hey, what do, what do you think? Are my rents crazy? Is my, uh, you know, are my expenses crazy? How many people do I need to run this property? Uh, what's my payroll gonna be? I think that information's available. It's just not something necessarily you can find on Google. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a little bit more old fashioned, the same way that, but that's part of what's great about real estate. It's the same thing. You can't, you can't buy real estate without going to see it either. You should go put your arms around it, see it. They can't tell you, hey, you should see this floor plan. It's great. You need to go see it. You know, and, and I can't tell you how many things you, how many mistakes you, you catch when you actually are physically there and physically checking some of the stuff as opposed to just, you know, assuming you can, you can hit a number. And, and I think that's one of the most important things to do. But I think the one of the great things I've always liked about real estate is in general, it's a pretty nice business. There are people that are willing to share. I mean, keep in mind in apartments, one of the things you do every week is you, you call your neighbors and say, hey, what's your occupancy? What are you charging for rent? And we all share that information because we want to, to make sure that everybody's you know, got it and, and pricing things somewhat similarly in the right way. So I, I think the data is available. You just got to go get it. Interesting. Yeah, it's... Um... I agree with you that that real estate is a very friendly business and and you know relationships 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 are you know that's a, a constant refrain from from guests on this show and and what people say uh, up and down so you know that's that's great to hear and you know once again it just hammers that that home yeah. um, regarding seeing properties you know before you buy them to go back to what we're experiencing right now. I mean, if you don't have maintenance guys, you know, going into units to service them, how are you going, if you're not comfortable to that level, you know, how, how are you going to be comfortable enough as a buyer to go do a due diligence, you know, inspection on a property and, and walk every unit and, and see the condition. I mean, you're exposing yourself and 
your business partners to to a lot of risk too. I mean, are you seeing people holding off on buying properties for that reason as well, in addition to uh, financing problems? Yeah, we just, we I just had that discussion with somebody today where we said we said so let's say I wanted to buy something today and I put it under contract today. How exactly am I going to do my diligence? And that's because the way that we do diligence is we go into every unit. And yes, sometimes do we skip the last 10% or 5% because we feel like we understand what's going on sometimes, but for the most part, we go into every single unit and that's not feasible today. So I, I think it's, it's a big risk uh, just from a diligence standpoint. Um, and, and that's a huge hurdle to get through. Um, it, you know, rule number one to me about the real estate is you got to put your eyes on it. You got to see it, you got to touch it and, and make sure it is what you think it is. And there, you know, it's pretty rare that there's guidance from the federal government actually telling you not to do that. Do not, do not do what you need to do in order to acquire a property. So I don't think there's a good answer to, uh, to that question. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of inspectors would probably feel unsafe going into several people's units. And, and even if all the tenants were out, you went in the middle of the day and you only went into units where tenants were at work, you're still going into potentially a contaminated environment. Um, and so I, I think that's one of the real challenges today as well as, as far as buying something. But I think the hope is, you know, real estate also doesn't happen very quickly. So if you want to do something today, you could potentially put it under contract and have as, as part of your contracts and your contingency say, we're going to do diligence as soon as these things open up. So um, if you think there's a good deal out there, uh, I, I, I don't think that it's a bad time. I don't think there's ever a bad time to try and put a deal together. Um, you may waste some time. <laughs> you may you may uh, spin your wheels a little bit, but you never know when you're going to come across something that's just gold. And um, there is at at some price today, there is some deal that that somebody could put in front of me that I would go, I don't care what's happening. That's a great deal, and I'm going to buy it. And I think that's always true. So we we always try to be aware of that and and be creatively uh, creative problem solvers. You know, um, buyers probably have more leverage today from a seller that really wants to sell than they've had in six years. So that's, that's a positive. If you went to a seller 90 days ago and said, well, this is what I want in the contract and I want this and I want that, the seller would say, get out of here. But today, <laughs> if they really want to sell it, they will probably find a way to work it out with you. And that's a, I think that's a big advantage for people. That is a very good point. Something I hadn't thought of um, is that we're in the, the best market for buyers for the last six years and that that's a big change. It's a big yeah. change. Yeah, it is, and we think and we think it's going to create some opportunity here in in the near term and and even the longer term. Is um, you know, uncertainty always creates some level of opportunity, and and I think uh, maybe maybe in as the months go by, there'll be more um, uncertainty. But I think we're, we're still all in, in three months. I still think there will be a very valid question of what's rent growth going to be in the fourth quarter. I don't, I don't think any, even in, in 90 days, I can't imagine anybody's going to be really comfortable saying, all right, I know exactly it's going to grow this much. I, it's always a guess, but I think even in 90 days from now, we're going to be worried about it because what a, what a shakeup this has been for the job market. And ultimately, I think rent growth is, is totally determined on, on, by our tenants' ability to pay. And, and I think that will still be somewhat uncertain in 90 days. Absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's the, the unemployment numbers that have come out are just absolutely staggering compared to historical. And, um, you know, over the next few weeks, it looks like that's not going to change. You know, it's, it, the numbers are going to keep racking up and 
you know, what are we going to do? So, right. Yeah. What are, are you seeing any difference at least so far in terms of, are you expecting any difference? So uh, in terms of collections at kind of the different uh, classes of properties that you own and manage, you know, um, the, the people throughout this cycle have liked to say that, oh, you know, C class is recession resistant because people move down from B class and B class is more recession resistant than A class because people move down from A class and A class are the ones that get whacked because people can't afford the nest thermostats and, you know, all those types of things. Um, do you think that'll hold true moving forward and in, in this current environment? Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard all sorts of stuff like that before. And, and I've heard, you know, people that I would consider mentors and very intelligent people say a, a variety of things similar to what you're saying, which is, oh, you know, C is always fine because people move down. And I've, I've had other people say people never move down. They only move up. So it's, I, it, I think, I don't know that there's any really good data that says that, but I, I do think that it's pretty clear and we related in percentages. And as you move up the scale, a higher percentage of your residents will have the ability to pay in tough times. And, and the way we look at it is we, we, our portfolio right now really consists of what I would call C plus high C product to low A product. And in our low A product, we think about 85% of residents can pay in a tough time, at least for a few months, you know, barring an incident like, you know, 2008 when it was just catastrophic to our financial system. And, and I think it remains to be seen if this is one of those times, yeah. but I, I think it's about 85% of those residents can pay like clockwork, even if there's tough times on, on some of the lower C class properties, I think it's more like 50%. And so 50% can pay all the time and you're battling every month for the other 50%. Then when something like this happens, you get 50% that comes in the door and then you're battling even harder for the next 50%. And the question is what percentage of them won't pay on a class A property. You could probably collect, you know, 75, 80% of that 15% that you're worried about. And, and so your collections are two, three, 4%. And that's terrible for class A, but that's not that bad considering the big picture. But if you're in that lower C and only half of that 50% that really struggles pays, you know, your economic, economic occupancy is down to 75%. And, uh, you know, assuming 100% occupied, you're only collecting 75% of your money. And that could be catastrophic. That may, that may be the difference between you covering your debt service and not. And so I think that's why C in general is beyond physical. That's why C is a little bit more risky um, and, and why it typically is at higher cap rates. So I think that's what we've see, seen in blended. You can definitely go property by property, but I also think it's neighborhood by neighborhood. You know, there, there are some really nice properties in certain neighborhoods, I think, that still have that kind of struggle. So not dissimilar from, from any other type of way you're assessing a property. I think you have to consider all the different parts of it when you're determining, you know, your tenant's ability to pay. Um, and, you know, they've, they've built really nice properties in really questionable neighborhoods before, and their rents are a little bit lower, even though the property is beautiful. Um, and so I, I think you have to factor all that in. But I, I certainly think collections for A properties are going to be well above that for C. And in, a, in an economic, you know, I, I guess it's, it's an event that's so quick, you know, that, that happened. I think you're definitely going to feel that more. In a slower economic event, you may not feel that as much because it's a gradual change this just happened so quickly that i think you're really instantly going to find um with the type of employment you have that type of employment is 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 more affected 
at the C property than it is at the A property. Um, you know, they're, they're a lot of the staff that, unfortunately, a lot of the staff that's easier to cut is the same type of staff that's living at a, at a class C property, your hourly wage earners. Um, they typically are the first ones that get cut. And I think in this, we've seen restaurant, hospitality, um, a lot of those that, that I think your C-class property are overexposed to. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a, a lot of very good points in that the A-class property folks are just more likely to be, you know, the salaried professional people who are harder to replace kind of on the backside of the recession. So, you know, that's one thing. And then they're just statistically more likely to have a couple thousand dollars in the bank and be able to, you know, make rent for at least a little while uh, if, if their income goes away. So yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of big question marks and um, you know, this, this, this mobility of asset class and whether people move, I think is really going to be tested here um, over the next few months. And it's definitely, uh, definitely concerning, you know, uh, somebody, yeah. uh, you know, I own C-class properties and uh, you know, it's been good so far, but you know, it's absolutely a concern. We, you know, we need, <laughs> we need the rent payments to, to right. pay investors and pay the debt and you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I think, and I think what you said before is still true. I mean, it's, it's, while, you know, the, the lower class of property is going to have more difficulty collecting the rent and will, will invariably collect less by a percentage, you still are in a position, like you mentioned, we, we kind of call, you know, B-class properties are like the middle of the highway. When things are good, when times are good, people move up from C and when times are bad, people move down from A. I, I think that's partially true. You know, I, like I said, I've talked to a ton of people who don't think that's the case. Everybody has their own opinion, but, um, I do think it's a reality that no one ever moves down to class A. You know, that you can't, um, you're only moving up to class A. So in, in down times, uh, I think it's very reasonable to say that your class A, your highest end class A properties, there's a, there's a great downward pressure on rents. And, and they, they don't really have the luxury quite as much as some of the middle of saying, well, we'll find another tenant that's willing to pay this because the, the, they are at the top in the universe of tenants that are willing to pay in theory are, are, are smaller because there's no one above them. Um, so I, I think that's, that's a reality there too. But one of the things about the ultra luxury class A apartments for the most part is the kind of capital that invests in them and owns them. They have a little bit long-term, more long-term vision and they have a little bit more uh, liquidity and they are able to withstand rent decreases much more than and investors and in, in lower end properties by and large. Um, you know, teacher state retirement systems isn't starved for cash when, when they're buying one of these luxury urban wrap, you know, um, <laughs> properties. So they, they can afford, if rents go down 2%, yeah, they're irritated about it. Um, but, but they typically aren't put in a, in a position where um, they have to sell that property because they're not happy or because they need the money back. And, and I think that's another advantage of, of class A investors too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we can, we can pontificate all we want. As I think about this, I realize we can pontificate all we want about whether people will change asset classes and you know, how that, what that impact is. But when it come push comes to shove, you know, we as business owners, property owners, we need to be able to pay the debt, pay the expenses, you know, no matter what we have to stay solvent. So, and that happens in, in the short term. So if we're, if our collections are way down in one month and we don't have a lot of reserves, then 
we've got a big problem. And if there's not a light at the end of the tunnel in the next couple of months and our reserves are threatened, then we've got an even bigger problem. And if we start, you know, if we're actually able to evict tenants, those turns still cost a lot of money. So, you know, it's not like we have some magical solution to just start evicting tenants. Right. Yeah. And, and even, you know, functionally right now, one of the interesting things that's going on is, you know, in the CARES Act, they're mentioning um, that, you know, any federally backed loan, you're not allowed to evict a tenant for, I think it's 120 days. Wow. And, and in addition to that, there are several municipalities that whether they're admitting it or not, they're not really processing the evictions anyway. So that while that may be helpful for tenants to say that, um, one of the issues we had with a lender recently is we asked them to say, Hey, will, will you confirm for us that you're not a federally backed lender because our, you know, our legal team that wants to evict the tenant wants to hear it. And our lender who I know is not federally backed was reluctant to do it. Their attorney said, don't confirm anything right now. Wow. So de facto, whether we want to admit it or not, you can't really evict anybody right now. Um, it, 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 the courts don't want to do it. The legal teams don't want to take the risk of, of filing something they shouldn't be filing. The legal, the lender legal doesn't want to admit. So it's, it's really at a, a, a grind to a halt right now. But hopefully, you know, like I said, our April collections were good. Um, you know, they're not, I think they're going to be worse eventually, but so far so good in, in early April. And um, I think we'll just keep going. And, and my, my goal and our goal is to just get through this, you know, get, get through, get to the other side and, and, and reassess there um, because eventually we will be allowed to evict tenants again. And, and they know that, we know that, and, and being very proactive with them and, and with everyone to make sure that they understand. It's like, listen to it. Yeah, you may not have to deal with this for a little bit longer, but eventually you're going to have to. So why don't you just do what you can to uh, make your payments? And if not, come to us and we'll work with you on a payment plan. You know, and, and I, think that's, I think that's where everybody's going right now. And hopefully all the tenants will be responsive to that and, and we'll all get through it um, in, as, as everybody's waiting on the government assistance to kick in. Yeah. Wow. So tough times right now. For the moment, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Steve, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Uh, we, we acquired a property early on in my career that was actually being run like a single family neighborhood. And um, because of that, we got it extreme at an extremely low price. And we, they weren't running it the right way. They were treating it like a like a single family home rental. And we grouped it all together and started running it like a multifamily property. And that's, that was one of the best investments we ever made. I think the property is quadrupled in value uh, up to this point. And um, that was a, that was a great one. You don't, you don't find that's the one by which all other deals are measured. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what is that, you know, as a, uh, what does that literally mean running it as a multifamily property? Because you can't just, take a bulldozer and shove the units together and uh, we have a multifamily now like it's a business process right so what it did you was, really change yeah so if, if um, you know for people not familiar with single-family management versus multifamily management this property was run with no on-site maintenance and no on-site office no on-site staff when when a unit became available and it was a it was a duplex community so 
uh, when a unit became available, it wasn't, it wasn't built together like a traditional multifamily, but it was all together on the same road. And so they would go put for rent signs in the fronts of the yards <laughs> and they would let people call them and then they would say, Hey, you know, stop by, take a look at the lockbox. What do you know? What do you want to do? You want to rent it? And it was just very inefficient. And we actually converted one of the units to an office, uh, you know, put up, put up new signage and had on-site staff, on-site maintenance. And that actually made it more efficient. Not only did we lease more, but it saved money. Uh, we weren't paying, you know, you hired a maintenance guy, you weren't paying contractors. And, and that cuts your maintenance in half almost by, by hiring a professional maintenance person. So it's a bunch of efficiencies that we gained. And uh, on top of that, we did an enormous amount of work to the property to improve it. And uh, it, it, it doesn't help that it was at the beginning of the cycle or it didn't hurt that it was at the beginning of the cycle too. I mean, the pricing was pretty great. Uh, it was not something that people <laughs> were interested in at the time. Yeah, I like that. On the other side of that, we had the best investment. Now we have the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I think the worst investment we ever, ever made was in a, in a property where we ignored some of the physical signs of problems. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you, you, everybody gets, for the most part, a PCA and a phase one, um, but you can't rely on it. And, and that sounds strange because you're paying a professional engineer uh, to go look at your property and tell you what's wrong. But the, the biggest mistake we made was we had some gut feelings about some of the problems, but when they weren't picked up by the engineer, we said, okay, it must not be a problem. And, and we, were, we were right from the beginning that these were problems. And, and we could never, even though our program and our value add plan was successful, we were leasing upgrades for what we thought, we couldn't get past the physical issue. And ultimately we ran through our budget and, and that was the worst investment we ever made. And it was a great lesson to learn to, you know, not just trust your gut, but also to, uh, to pay attention to the physical. I mean, it, these properties will fall apart if you don't take care of them and, and it can, it can destroy your investment if you're not uh, ready for it. Wow. Ouch. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? I think, I think for me, it's probably just to do what you say you're going to do. Um, we would not be where we were, where we are without our, our reputation. And it's a, I think we mentioned before, it, this is a relationship business. It's a very small world. You find connections that you didn't know you had are ours being one. Um, and it's, it's very valuable to us that we do what we say we're going to do and, and we're straightforward about that. Um, it served us very well and I think it makes us easier to do business with. And if you're easy to do business with, I, I just feel like you find your way to more deals. You find your way to more successes um, in the long term. So I, I'd say that's, that's the thing we've learned. Nice. I like it. Steve, I appreciate all the lessons today. I mean, I, this is the times right now are a big question mark and we're going to get through it together. If folks want to learn more about you and your company, where can they get in touch? Uh, they can go to our website, www.arkincapital.com. Awesome. All right. Well, Steve, thanks once again for your time. It is uh, a well past, uh, it's almost 9.30 p.m. here on a Wednesday evening. I appreciate you taking some time. Everybody tuning in, thank you for listening. I hope you got a lot of value out of this conversation. I know I did. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone else who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and then bring them into the tribe. 
once again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I hope you're, you're doing well right now, wherever the world finds you. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Take care. Bye-bye.